0: Keith mentioned about um, archaeological uh, confirmation of the New Testament, and actually I did a talk on that topic, uh, I think it was last year's Reasonable Faith course, and my recording of that is on my uh, podcasting channel, which you can find on iTunes and through Damaris Trust. Um, I'm going to take a slightly different approach uh, this year, uh, in that uh, we thought it might be good to talk something about some of the uh, extra-biblical literary evidence And since that's such a a big subject, as uh, Pete Mays just mentioned about some of the Roman writers and so on, I thought I would focus down into just one area and look at this topic of evidence for Jesus from the early church fathers. That is the the sort of second generation of Christian writers, the generation of writers after uh, the closure of the New Testament canon. And a quote here from uh, Tertullian, As often as we are mown down by you, Uh, the Roman authorities, the more shall we grow in numbers. The blood of Christians is seed, Uh, which sets my theme of looking at some of the uh, writing uh, of early church martyrs, and in particular uh, a guy called Ignatius. I've got a bit of a graph here. You can see at the bottom uh, we've got the eyewitness generation, Jesus, the eyewitness generation, characters like Peter, John, Philip, the evangelist, And then some of the early church fathers, Ignatius, Papias, Polycarp, and Irenaeus, uh, sort of a little later than them, and looking at some of the connections of who got their information about Jesus from whom, Uh, the way in which uh, Peter, for example, was known to Ignatius, the way in which John was known to Ignatius and Papias and Polycarp, uh, and this uh, chain of, of testimony from one person to another. Of oral uh, history uh, within that uh, two generation span. The Emperor uh, Trajan, Roman Emperor Trajan, uh, 98 to 117 AD, was uh, a bit uh, paranoid. And he grew suspicious of secret clubs, uh, and he went to lengths to ban secret clubs that he thought could f- ferment uh, political opposition to him. Uh, and so paranoid was him that he even banned voluntary fire brigades, uh, which was really uh, dangerous in those kind of towns in that time. Uh, But that was how paranoid he was. And uh, one group of of people who also got caught up in some of his paranoia, rather, were the early Christians. And this is uh, Ignatius of Antioch, who, according to uh, the early church historian Eusebius, was martyred uh, in the Colosseum in Rome, torn apart by lions in uh, 108 AD. Uh, When he refused to deny Christ, he was sentenced to be transported to Rome and to be thrown to the lions. Uh, He was a disciple of John the Apostle, and uh, Eusebius and Theodoret uh, both say that the Apostle Peter was the guy who had appointed Ignatius uh, as bishop uh, of Antioch. And on his uh, journey to Rome, uh, to be martyred, Ignatius wrote a series of uh, letters to different Christian communities along the route, uh, which we still have. They're one of the most important uh, sort of uh, uh, chunks of the early church fathers' writings that we have, writings from the early church. In his letter to the Ephesian church, he writes about our God, Jesus. As a spiritual physician, who is at once fleshly and spiritual, God in man, true life in death. Um, This uh, sort of material really puts the absolute kibosh on any of that uh, sort of damn Brown. um, Christians uh, didn't think of uh, Christ as divine until he was divinized in the Council of Nicaea in 325, etc. Uh, This is from 107-108 AD. And he recounts in that letter to the Ephesians, God was displayed in human form to bring newness of life, a quote very uh, resonant of Romans 6-4, with reference to the new man, Jesus Christ, which consists in faith towards him and love towards him, in his passion, his resurrection, our antidote to ensure that we shall not die, but live in Jesus Christ forever. I remember the guy who is writing this is putting his life voluntarily on the line for thinking that this is true, that he's not going to die because he's going to have eternal life in Christ, so he's willing to go and be torn apart by lions. In his letter to the uh, Tralians, he encourages them about Jesus Christ, who died for us, that you might escape death through faith in his death. And he has uh, this almost uh, creedal uh, kind of passage, which you can uh, very easily slips into this sort of poetic form. He says, turn a deaf ear to any speaker who avoids mention of Jesus Christ, who was of David's line, born of Mary, who was truly born, ate and drank, who was truly persecuted under Pontius Pilate, truly crucified and died, who also was truly raised from the dead, the Father having raised him, who in like manner will raise us who believe in him. In his letter to the, uh, if I pronounce this correctly, Smyrns, he uh, talks about his full conviction with respect to our Lord. That he is genuinely of David's line according to the flesh, son of God according to the divine will and power. Really born of a virgin and baptized by John. uh, Really nailed up in the flesh for us in the time of Pontius Pilate and the Tetrarchy of Herod. That he might raise up a standard for all ages through his resurrection. For he suffered all this on our account that we might be saved. And he really suffered as he really raised himself. Some unbelievers say he suffered in appearance only. Not so. For I know and believe that even after his resurrection he was in a physical body. And when he came to Peter and his companions, and remember this is a guy who knew Peter writing this, came to Peter and his companions, he said, Take hold and feel me and see that I am not a bodiless phantom. Very reminiscent of uh, Luke 23, 36, for example. And immediately they touched him and believed when they had contact with his flesh and blood. Therefore also they despised death and proved superior to death, just as Ignatius uh, was to do so. It's interesting to notice there. That the the sort of uh, heretical temptation that he's writing against in this time is not the temptation to think that Jesus was a man but not divine. Rather, it's the temptation to think that Jesus was divine, all right. It's just that he wasn't really a man. And that's the the heresy that he finds himself fighting against at that time. The only personal letter that uh, Ignatius writes is to Polycarp. Uh, uh, Polycarp is a disciple of... Uh, Jesus' own disciples, it's unclear whether it's John the Elder or John the Apostle, but one of the Johns, and Polycarp himself was to be a martyr. And Irenaeus, who was Polycarp's disciple, you I have to see this chain of of passing on, of teaching and learning, uh, reports that Polycarp was not only instructed by apostles and conversed with many who'd seen Christ, but was also by apostles in Asia appointed bishop. He always taught the things he'd learnt from the apostles. And Arrhenius talks about recalling the the very place where the blessed Polycarp used to sit as he discoursed and tell of his conversations with John and with others who'd seen the Lord, relating their words from memory, and so on. Uh, Papias was a friend of Polycarp, who'd learned about Jesus uh, from Ariston, the elder John, uh, and uh, the four daughters of Philip, the evangelist, who's one of the disciples as well. And in one passage from a book of his, Pappus explains, uh, If then anyone who had attended on the elders came, I asked minutely after their sayings, what Andrew or Peter said, or what was said by Philip or by Thomas or by James or by John or Matthew or by any other of the Lord's disciples, which things Ariston and the Presbyter John, the disciples of the Lord, say. For I imagined that what was to be got from books was not so profitable to me as what came from the living and abiding voice, that living and abiding voice of the eyewitness. And that's very much in line with the kind of attitude that people at that time had to history, that it was much more important to be in contact with the oral history of the eyewitness than something someone had written down in a book. So Ignatius had the courage to suffer a pretty grisly and avoidable death, Uh, on the basis of his confidence in the truth of the gospel. And his confidence, I think, clearly didn't really rest in the written testimony of what we now call the New Testament, but in uh, that living and abiding voice of testimony about Jesus, provided by those known to him, to Ignatius, who had themselves known Jesus in the flesh, uh, people like Peter and John, and uh, those known to him who knew those, who had known Jesus in the flesh. Uh, people like Polycarp and Papias, who knew people like John and Philip the Evangelist and his daughters, and so on. Now, I'm not making the general claim that martyrdom proves the truth of the cause for which one dies. I think that's pretty obvious in these times that that's not the case. However, willingness. To be murdered on the basis of one's adherence to the truth of an empirical truth claim. like Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, when one is in a good position to know the truth or falsity of that claim, surely says something that's truth conducive about that claim. Such a willingness to die speaks not only of the sincerity of the martyr's belief, obviously, but to the confidence that they have both in the significance and the truth of such an empirical truth claim. Uh, Hence, I think the particular kind of martyrdom that's uh, being suffered by early church uh, fathers like Ignatius and so on does constitute uh, a pretty strong implicit form of historical testimony uh, that certainly corroborates the, the picture of Jesus that we get from the New Testament. This multiple attestation of a living and abiding voice of testimony about Jesus, that's what explains his confidence to write as he did in his uh, final letter to the church in Rome where he was going to die. Let all come, fire and cross and conflicts with beasts, hacking, cutting, wrenching of bones, chopping of limbs, the crushing of my body, cruel chastisements of the devil laid upon me. Only let me attain Jesus Christ, an imitator of the passion of my God.